Cool, okay, the last thing for me to do now is to introduce today's speaker. It is Penny Scythel, and Penny is somebody who is so authentic and so genuine, and we love you, Gary, and your family. You are, you're the real deal, guys, and you know, the times we've worshipped in your home and, and hung out together, they love Jesus. Penny loves Jesus, so what she has for us today will be from the Father's heart to yours and mine. So let's open our hearts, open our spirits, be prepared to receive what God has for us today. Thank you so much. That's brilliant. And um, we need our put that there. Can I just hand you that? That's great. Is that it? Hey, hey. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Yeah, so good to be here. And I, I have to say, I had the joy of being with Pete and Nikki and the other leaders for about the past 48 hours. And just, they are a gift to us, incredibly. But to see them lead so beautifully and just releasing servant-led leadership um, is, is such a gift. So guys, we love you. We honor you. And just say thank you. So, yeah, um, last uh, week we heard Stu. How many of you were here last week? Oh, brilliant. One thing, when I hear someone speaking, I love to take my phone and just at least write down the references. So I encourage you to do that. As, as one who communicates, to know that at best you receive 7% of what I say in the next half hour. I want to encourage you, if you have a phone, to maybe write down some scriptures or at least one thing that sticks with you. So, Father, we just ask that, yeah, just thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We know that your word is a gift to us. You have said, you've given us the oracles of your heart. So, Lord, we treasure that, we feast on it, and we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Open our ears and eyes to go with you further, like that song, deeper and further, in your name, amen. So when Stu was speaking last week about the Father's heart, there's one thing that he said that really just stuck with me, and he said this, you're valuable to God because you're you. And that is beautiful. I love that the Father will intersect lives around the world to awaken hearts to Him. Do you know, we just came back from America. If I sound a little more Southern than normal, um, we were there almost a month. We had a week at the beach with our kids. It was beautiful. And Gary and I, we were right on the beach, and we were like, let's go get a quick picture of this sunset going down. And we're trying to do a selfie, and I hear this voice that says, hey, would you like uh, to take, take your photo? And I glanced over, and I have to admit that I looked, and I have to say, if I saw someone like Amy Murphy that's young, I would have been like, hey, yeah, come, come take a photo. But I actually saw she was a little bit older than me, and I thought, you might cut my head off. We're getting this one moment to... <laughs> to get the sunset, so I politely declined. So we took lots of photos. I wish I could show you a picture. It's gorgeous. Played around in the surf a bit. 
And then there was this niggling. It was the Holy Spirit. Hey, that might have seemed a bit rude. So I was like, they were still sitting there. So I said to, to the woman and her friend, are you enjoying your time? And she said, yeah, we're catching one more sunset before we head off tomorrow. And as she starts talking, my ears perked up. And I thought, that sounds familiar. She starts telling me about her life, her story. And I kind of interrupted and said, I have to ask, I'm sorry, where are you from? You know where she's from? Billericay. <laughs> I'm like, what? And I, I'm such a numbers girl. I Googled. I said, okay, I want to know how far is Billericay from where we were in Florida. As the crow flies, it's 4,461 miles. Go figure. But it was sweet to hear her story to hear about her life. She actually married um, an American, so they had traveled all around the world. And we told her our story a little bit about just how God has brought our lives together beautifully and that with faith in Jesus, you know, it just, it just makes life so real, so good. And she said this, I wasn't religious growing up, but I keep running into people like you. <laughs> and I think someone is trying to get my attention. And I love that because I felt that was a word for us, that there's some of us here that we have relationships, family members, that maybe your heart is so much for them to know Jesus, but yet that conversation has been exhausted. They're like, I don't want to know anymore. And a beautiful thing to pray is that God would intersect hearts around the world, that they would awaken to their creator that says, I love you, you're valued, I know you. Here's a scripture if you want to jot it. Hebrews 1.14 says that there are ministering angels that serve those who are yet to receive, to inherit salvation. There's ministering angels on the earth that he will bring people's paths to serve them, that he can awaken, he or she can awaken their hearts to their creator, Hebrews 1.14. I love that. And today, we're actually looking at obstacles and opportunities, living out what you truly believe. There's a scripture that says this. I love studying the word. We're going to look at an Old Testament character in a moment. But the word is alive, breathing, shows us how to do life. And Romans 15.4 says this. What was written beforehand is meant to instruct us how to live. The scriptures impart to us encouragement and inspiration so that we can live in hope and endure all things. And the character that we're going to look at is someone that encountered one obstacle after the next. He said yes to God, and then it was obstacle, obstacle. And sometimes we have to ask ourselves in the mess, in the stress of life, when things aren't going the way we feel the pressure, are we able to truly go and act out what we believe. 
It's that thing that we're going to learn to draw continually from the Word of God that when we're asking God, show me how to navigate wisely these obstacles He shows us. We want to see that our hearts are bent towards Him, that our heart is to know Him. And my heart, I want to position my heart every moment, every day to say, God, would you lead me? This looks like a mess. <laughs> this is stressful, but would you lead me? So, the story, it starts with a conversation. And the one we're looking at is Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a Jewish exile in Persia. He served under King Artaxerxes I. It was roughly about 445 B.C., can I give you some quick context for those of you that need it? I'm looking at someone in particular, um, but he's a great Bible person. Um, but the context, if you imagine, so for roughly 70 years, the Jewish people were in exile. They were taken over by the Babylonians. And so they have been released out of captivity, and three different groups went back to the homeland. The first one was led by Zerubbabel. What a great name to name your pet. No kidding. Uh, Zerubbabel. Come here, Zerubbabel. I don't know why I just said that. Anyway, Zerubbabel, he actually helped rebuild the temple. The temple had been destroyed during the captivity, so he rebuilt despite it not being to its former glory. The next group was led by Ezra, a prophet. He actually tried to rebuild the walls, but he was stopped by King Artaxerxes. So here we are. That's roughly a 90-year period between all of that happening. So we've got Nehemiah serving under King Artaxerxes. And our story begins with a conversation. So Nehemiah is speaking to Hanani. Hanani is his brother. And Nehemiah says, Hanani, how is my homeland? He, had, he, had not, he grew up outside of his homeland. How is my homeland? And Hanani says, it's actually, there's devastation. There's destruction. The people are in distress. You see, the walls, the protection of our city have been broken down. The gates are burned, leaving the city, the people, vulnerable to enemy attack. And he hears this, and something begins stirring his heart. Many of you may know the story of Nehemiah, but this is what the Holy Spirit just brought out was this. There was two people. There was Hanani. He saw the destruction in Jerusalem. There was Nehemiah. He heard about it. They heard the same, same situation, meaning they heard the same thing. Even Hanani, as you study it, he was a governor government official that potentially had been living there that could maybe have done something, but yet two different outcomes. And I feel like he showed us this because sometimes there's something that we've seen and it stirred our hearts and we're like, Lord, it looks like something you've, you've put on my heart, but I have no idea how to start it. Or it may be that he wants you to join along with others that are pioneering but he says, look what's in your hands. What am I stirring in your heart to say, come along? Two different outcomes. You've probably heard of Nehemiah. 
don't know if you've ever heard of Hanani, but we want to bring him glory, and we can do that by saying yes to him. So if you imagine this thing, this stirs in Nehemiah's heart, and he comes to God, and he weeps, he mourns, he prays, and he says, God, I want to remind you of the covenant of love you made to our forefathers and then as he reminds him, he says, and God, I repent. Sam, wherever he is, reflected on that in worship. How many times do we go, God, I'm sorry? Because when that, that heart is open to say, I'm sorry, we can hear much clearer. He says, I'm sorry for the sins of, of my people, but I'm also, look in my heart, Nehemiah says that, for any of the sins that I have committed or my family. So he says he, he has this burden. It's a prayer burden that he just is, is torn up inside and says, what do you want me to do? This goes on for a while, you'll see. And I want us to, to read this scripture together. It's kind of long, but it's from Nehemiah 1, verses 8 to 11. And this is the word. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed. By your great power, by your strong hand, O oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. And I love when we look at Old Testament, we can see the character of God. And in this passage, the word redeemed is padah. And it, it's describing God as the one who wants to rescue, the one that wants to restore, to set us free. And that's his heart for us. Today, in 2022, he says, I want your lives to be full. I want you to live free. And that's our Redeemer. And he does that through Jesus. Jesus, the one that reconciled us to the Father. So looking at this, he says, I'm your Redeemer. And if you can imagine um, now that this, this conversation actually ensues between um, the king and um, Nehemiah, because the last thing it says is, I was the king's cupbearer. So the cupbearer, that was his role. He was the one that basically risked his um, life every day, eating, drinking, making sure the king's food wasn't poisoned. But he also was a confidant, a friend, someone who was loyal to the king. And the king notices, hey, Nehemiah, you look sad, but you're not ill. And he says about the destruction of his homeland. And the king says this, 
What is it that you request? And right after that, it says, he prayed and then he spoke. It's probably one of the quickest prayers in the Bible because it doesn't even say what it was. But Nehemiah had been in that state of prayer, in that state, ready. So when the king said, what is your request? He was ready to share. And remarkably, the king gives him a letter of authority. He gives him supplies along the way. He brings an army with him. He even assigns him to be governor of Judea. He's got all the boxes ticked saying, hey, you want to go restore something? You've got everything you need. So the king releases him. Now, I have to tell you this. This is one of those kind of wild moments. But in Atlanta, knowing that I was going to be preaching and we have been doing so much, I thought, Lord, you got to give me something. I knew it was Nehemiah. One morning, I woke up at four in the morning. My father loved studying the Word. And on his bookcase, I saw this, this big, thick book of Josephus. Raise your hand if you know who Josephus is. There's a few dotted in here. A Jewish historian that basically, as you read it, it shows you just that history and the Bible do go together. And it's a great reference. So I open it up at four in the morning. I look up Nehemiah. I'm kind of excited, like, oh, great, there's something here. And I cannot tell you, it was like being a fly on the wall of reading the book of Nehemiah, the way it describes it. And I'm reading, I'm just like, oh, thank you, Lord. And this phrase that I'm about to show you jumped off the page. (laughs) It's kind of written in Old English, so just uh, bear with me. But this was it. It says... This is the king. And keep in mind the context. They've had this conversation. He's given him everything he needs. And then he says, okay, I want you to go. Go do what's called. And this is what the king says. Leave off thy sorrow, then said the king, and be cheerful in the performance of thy office thereafter. Nehemiah's response, he worshiped God He gave thanks to the king. He cleared up his sad countenance by taking pleasure in the king's promises. And I felt that was such a word for us. A lot of us in here, everyone in here, God's given a task at hand. It might be raising kids single-handedly going, This is pretty tough. I feel stretched. You might be plunged into a new role. You're a junior doctor, as we saw with Choshu, and um, so much is happening, and you're like, this is stretching me. Whatever it is, he's saying that I've given you this task at hand, and I love these keys. I see them as keys for us. It says, first of all, worship God. Worship God. The next thing is give thanks. And we've heard some beautiful talks on that. That's why I was just like, wow. Worship God. Give thanks. And I feel this part that it says take off your countenance. It doesn't mean that we just shove our emotions and put them away because they're real. But it says sometimes I'm asking you 
to just say, God, despite what I feel, despite this happening, I am willing to step in what you've called me to do. Because there are things that will weigh us down. As I read this, for me, it's seeing my mom at 89 that once was so strong is so frail now. And do you know, sometimes when you say yes to God, it comes at a cost. A lot of you, there's some in here I know that you have just said yes to Jesus, and you see the cost of following Jesus. You might have friendships, you might have family that don't understand you, that don't get you now, and you're like, this is hard. And do you know what? There's plenty that wants to derail you and say, forget it, this is too hard. But I can guarantee you, following Jesus for a lifetime is absolutely worth it. It's so worth it. And your choices today impact those around you. And, and it's that next generation, children that aren't even born will know about your faith. So sometimes we have to release what's there. I had to, before coming back, I had to continually release my mama because I thought, I should be there. She needs me. And sweetly, my brother just moved around the block, a one-minute drive from her. So she does have family. But sometimes, before we can press into what God wants us to do, we have to release things. It might be releasing people. It might be a relationship that just probably isn't the best to be in anymore. It might be a friendship that you have to take a step back. But he says, just come on follow me. And I love, he said, that he took with him the promises of the king. And I look at that as the promises of my king, the word. Do you read the word? That's rhetorical. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> I think I heard Bill Johnson say this, the Bible app's great, but that's like, and it's great. I love it. I shared with someone yesterday, just about, hey, this is a Bible app. You can hear God's word. But it's like an appetizer to sit before the king and go, God, I don't get this. This is hard. I thought saying yes to you, my life would just become wow. And it is wow, but it comes at a cost. <laughs> and to sit before the king, do you know, we picture that thing of coming to the table and there's so much food. Gary and I just on Thursday just had the most amazing meal so many courses, I won't tell you how many. It was kind of embarrassing. <laughs> no, but it was great. A precursor to a big birthday I'm going to have soon. Anyway, uh, not going to tell you the number. <clears throat> um, but that it, was, it was wonderful. But the king invites us to his table. And what's there is incredible. But it's more who's at the table with me. No one can give you satisfaction like Jesus my husband and I have been married 30 years. It's amazing, but there are times when I say, whom do I have in heaven but you? And on earth, there's nothing I desire more than you. And it's not because, you know, he left his socks by the bed for the 90th time. <laughs> but it's more, you know, and he doesn't do that. He used to do that when we got married, and I just kept shoving him under the bed till one day he went, where are my socks? I was like... 
I don't know, darling. <laughs> Sorry. Um, totally not what I wrote down. Anyway. Um, but yeah, just being able to just know that Jesus is what satisfies us. Jesus gives us what we need. Yeah, so I love that. That's a takeaway, hopefully. Worship God. Give him thanks. Release what needs to be released. And hold on to his promises. Amen? All right. So in the story, so he basically, Nehemiah heads to Jerusalem. He's got everything, everything coming with him in, in authority. And then guess, guess what he does? He waits. He's there three days before he does anything. And this is what I learned that was so cool. When we read, we read before that Nehemiah fasted and prayed and mourned. In the Bible, it says he did this for days. He did this for 40 days. Sorry, for four months. He fasted and prayed for four months before he ever approached the king. And do you know, in our instant society, sometimes we're like, okay, God, I prayed. I think Sam said that. That was so cool. That we pray, we don't get an answer immediately, and we go, come on, God. He says, my son, my daughter, I'm building your faith. <laughs> and you know what? It's worth being built in that moment. So Nehemiah waits. Then he gathers a group together, um, and they go and scout out the city. They see the destruction, and then he comes together. He calls the priests, the nobles, the officials, and this is what he says in chapter 2, verse 18. He gives this beautiful display of unity that he's not trying to do this thing on his own. He gets the people behind him. And then they declare this. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. So they are like, yes, we're in. And they start. You don't see it here, but in verse 19, enter someone called Sanballat. Say the name to your neighbor real quick. Sanballat, just to make sure he's still with me. Sanballat. Okay, so he's, he, yeah, boo. <laughs> he's the antagonist. He's the one that the whole time is saying, yeah, I, I'm not going to let you, I don't want you to win. And as I studied, he actually was king of, um, uh, governor of Samaria. And so that's why he had this opposition going on. So he starts accusing, he starts mocking, and I love the reply from Nehemiah. He says this in verse 20, so I answered them, this is Sanballat and all the, the ones coming against, I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us, therefore we his servants will arise and build. What struck me is he didn't say, hey, I'm now governor of Judah. I've got this letter of authority. The king, King Artaxerxes, the one that wouldn't let you build the wall before, has given me the okay. He did not use that. But his sure foundation was God. What a lesson. Hmm. 
Over and over, you'll see over the next chapters, um, chapter 3 is incredible. It shows the unity that Nehemiah has cast vision, and it's every priest, every family. They build the wall that's right near them. Um, they even just, they use women to help, help build the wall, so it's a beautiful display of inclusivity, diversity, yet they constantly have attack from Sanballat. He even stirs up this thing that he's going to come and attack um, the, the whole uh, wall and the people and break down what they've done, but God makes it, it just goes away. It's like an empty threat. And as I was studying this, sometimes when we have stepped into something and we have one obstacle after the next, we have to know what our heart's posture is. And the key is Pete prayed it, so I love how all this keeps echoing. There's a word, obedience. And some of us, we might go, oh, isn't that for dog training, you know? You do, uh, obedience. But obedience, the what just came to mind as I was writing this was saying yes again and again to the task that God's given despite obstacles, despite opposition. And that's our hearts that no matter what we're in, if God said, this is what you carry, this is, it's hard. You've got to let go of stuff. But as you step in it, my heart is that you would keep going, not get stuck. And that's his heart for us. He describes this. Um, it is Nehemiah 4.17. As they were building, those who build on the wall and those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And that's a great principle we've heard that when we're, we're all in a battle... <laughs> I think everyone knows that. You probably don't need to be told that. Um, we're in a battle because of who we carry. When you have conflict with somebody that just has attitude towards you, and you think, I don't get it. They're nice to everyone else in the office, but they just seem to brush me aside like, nah, can't be bothered. That's the spirit of Christ in you. It's not you they're rejecting. It's the spirit of Christ. So what's key is how we respond in that moment. And I love this scripture. It's from 2 Corinthians 10. It's really verse 3 to 5. Verse 3 says, Though we're in the flesh, if you know the person, touch the person next to you or fist bump them, just, yep, <laughs> we allowed to do that fist bump. <laughs> That's, we're in the flesh. That's what that means. We're, we're right here. It says, though we're in the flesh, we don't wage war as the flesh. Waging war in the flesh says what? Arguing, attitudes, arrogance. As I was writing this, you know what Holy Spirit said to me? Sometimes you archive people in WhatsApp with an attitude. Am I the only one that's ever done that? Like, I do not want to hear this anymore. Boop. Sometimes it's good to do that, boop. <laughs> but I did it to someone recently, and they're like, hey, and I really missed something big, so then I had to confess my sin and say, oh, didn't mean to do that. So we, we have, God has given us a strategy. We don't war in the flesh. 
We don't do it by our own thinking and our own strategy, but here's the solution. And I broke it down just to help you because this helps me. Had fun making this on a graph, but it's, it says the weapons, our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So our weapons, we know from Ephesians 6, we have armament that's offensive and defensive. But we also have weapons that we just heard about from Nehemiah of worshiping God, of giving thanks, of aligning our hearts to him, and taking hold of the promises of God. That's our weapons. And it says that it's of our warfare. The Greek word here is stratos, which means strategy. Can I just say, the enemy has a strategy of how you handle conflict, but there's a kingdom strategy. There's a kingdom strategy. We think differently. We do differently. By God's grace, we do. A kingdom strategy builds peace, builds hope, builds life. Thank you, God. And they're not carnal, but they're mighty in God because they come from God for the pulling down of strongholds. And stronghold, just the most simplest way that just kind of came to mind is anything that we let the enemy build in our life. You might go, okay, I want to come to that table, but I'm having a hard time hearing God. Is there resentment? Is there anger? Is there bitterness? Is there disappointment that's turned to discouragement and you can't even hear God? He says, bring that to me. Release that to me. And what's so key is we are called to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ And I love this picture because it just shows that everything is right here in our thoughts. And he's saying, my child, know who you are, know whose you are. Know that I've called you my beloved. When you feel like I'm not good enough. Do you ever feel like that? I'm not good enough. Oh, my gosh, everyone else out here is so much smarter I don't know what I'm doing. He says, you're mine. Let's do this together. So taking every thought captive is declaring what you know to be true. God, thank you that you rewrote the book of my life when I opened my eyes to you. It's a beautiful verse. I have it right here. It's one of my favorite. I need glasses, but here you go. Psalm, if you want to write this down, Psalm 1824 in the message said, God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. And that's what he wants to do today in every situation. Just quickly, this whole message came um, because of some prophetic words, uh, just for time, the one of the main words, we were leaving, and Pete and Nikki prayed for us, and um, the word that Nikki gave was obstacle And when we were headed to um, America. And I kind of thought, wait, can you give me something different? <laughs> First Corinthians 14.3 says that the prophetic is given 
to comfort, to strengthen, to encourage. But it also, it was an equipping word because, no kidding, from the get-go, we had one obstacle after, after another. Um, we had gone to do work for um, our, our charity. I got shoes, spent time with family, friends, and the very first night, we had been up almost 24 hours, and I did what I should not have done. I checked my phone. Bad time to, be, to check your phone when you're up. But there was something we were supposed to have as a charity. It was, it was called, called the Color Run, and it was a big run that was going to raise so much money, and it would have like pretty much covered our budget for the rest of the year. And I had this thing going. I haven't heard from them so I looked. It was like four in the morning this time. I looked, and the words came so quickly. It said, after much consideration, we're sorry, but we have to cancel this event. And it was at that moment I said, hey, Gary, come here. I, I need to show you something, and we, and we need to pray and we got down on our knees, and it was just, here's this thing that just stuck with me. And this is that thing of taking every thought captive. The Holy Spirit said, Penny, you never have this moment, exact moment, to live this again. And I said, okay, God, you've entrusted this obstacle to us. So we got on, a, we got on our knees, and we just said, I don't get it. It didn't mean I just shoved all the confusion away. It's like the, those colors. I was taking the disappointment. I was taking the, I don't get it. Oh, my gosh, where's the money going to come from? I was bringing all of that, and I just lifted it. We lifted it to God. And it was that obstacle that just looked like, I don't know, and sometimes if there's obstacles in your life, God will do this. He'll say, you know what? It's an obstacle, and right now I simply want you to wait. Psalm 27, 14 says, be strong and of good courage. Wait on the Lord. Psalm 62, 5 says, I wait for God. My expectation is in Him. And that waiting, just like Nehemiah waited, he didn't run ahead but he trusted God. Sometimes he says, you know what? I'm going to use that obstacle, and I'm going to use it as almost a platform, a step, to take you into a different opportunity. For us, it's been opportunity to trust deeper, trust more. And it's been sweet to see how it's happened. And sometimes he says, you know what? This obstacle, grab my hand. I'm going to show you a way around it. But... It's faith. It's active. And it was at that moment that he just said, your kingdom strategy to this obstacle, and here's the thing. My heart was prepared, so I didn't panic. I didn't, I just said, it, that initial reaction, wasn't it, babe? I was like, hey, we need to pray. He kind of looked at me like, I kind of want to go to bed right now. <laughs> I was like, no, come on, we really need to pray. But from that, this is the takeaway I'd love to leave with you. And this is just what has resonated over and over in my heart. And it says, when my heart is bent towards obedience, my obstacles 
become opportunities. When my heart is yielded to him, my obstacles become opportunities. And what we learn about Nehemiah over and over, he had to tackle injustice. He had to tackle an economic crisis. There was famine. There was division among the people. There was threats on his life. There was distractions. And we know that beautiful, famous, I think it's in chapter 6, 3, that says, oh, I can't come down now because I'm, I'm doing a great thing. And he says, keep focus, keep on task. And I think the biggest thing I learned about Nehemiah, he was a great visionary leader, but his heart was one that was led. He was willing to be led by God. So I just want to ask you now, despite obstacles, despite opposition, despite what you see, is your heart bent and allowing Holy Spirit to just lead you? To lead you and say those things that kind of have, have held you back, those things that you've held on to, it doesn't mean that pain isn't real. We invite him into that pain and that joy that only he can give strengthens. Further on in Nehemiah um, 8.10, we probably all know the joy of the Lord is our strength. For the first time ever, the phrase before it that I don't hear quoted a lot says, take off your sorrow for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Pain and presence of God can exist. But my heart today is that we don't get stuck. We don't quit. <laughs> Forget it. But we keep pressing in to what God has for you. Because when we say yes to him, it's beautiful to see what's on that other side of obedience. It's a beautiful thing. So, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that your word is fresh. Your word is alive and true. Holy Spirit, we ask that our hearts would be bent towards obeying you. God, that when we look at things that don't make sense, struggles, that we just invite you in. So Holy Spirit, I just pray those things, that strategy that you want us to have to do things a different way. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that if there are ones that you know, there's something you just need to let go of and release, God, that you would bring that to mind. I think one of the most powerful examples I have seen the first week that we were back from um, America, I came up to the front to pray, and we were singing that song, Your Goodness, Your Faithfulness. I will sing, Your Goodness, Your Faithfulness. And I was looking around the room, and it's like the Holy Spirit was highlighting different faces. And I knew the stories of some people singing, and I knew, it's like the Holy Spirit said, they're singing I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you've been faithful. All my life, 
All my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. And I saw faces that if you looked at their circumstances, you'd be like, hey, that doesn't line up. But kingdom mentality, our thoughts surrendered to him. And I just saw that as a picture of sacrifice, that as you declared that, it's a sacrifice of praise. Psalm 149 says, when you declare and praise when you don't feel like it, you are putting, binding the enemy. And that's powerful. So keep worshiping. Keep thanking. Keep aligning your heart and keep his word. Fresh. So we love you, Jesus. Thank you, God, in your name. Amen.